Uh, we're going to start in John chapter 20. Those are beautiful hymns, Dave. Thank you. John chapter 20, but before we start, well, let's turn to it. Jesus has died. He's been sacrificed on the cross. Soldiers have been brutal to him. The scripture says, Isaiah prophesies, that his face was so marred more than any man. His visage was so marred more than any man. His likeness more than the sons of men. So men did their worst to him in mockery and abuse by the soldiers, mockery by the religious leaders. He was put to death. And it seems almost a, a sudden change in the scripture after that event. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. What happened soon after he died? The first thing that happened was that Joseph of Arimathea and a, a man named Nicodemus, these were rich men, leaders, secret disciples, you might say, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and requested the body of Jesus. And then he uh, took it down, and his friend Nicodemus, both of them, brought 100 pounds of aloes and myrrh and cloth to wrap the body of Jesus. And I'm sure that was done tenderly. I mean, it's such a contrast to me to see the abuse he takes before he dies. And then even the centurion could say, surely this was a righteous man afterwards. There's a sudden change in their attitude towards the Lord Jesus Christ and the way he was treated. Never again will people treat him like that. When he comes again, it will be in, in victory. Uh, he looks forward to having us with him. He looks forward to what we call the rapture one will be raised from the dead and be with him. He looks forward to that. Then he will be fully satisfied that what he came to do has been accomplished. He'll have us with him. But notice how tenderly they treat him. And so initially they wrap him with these, these, this linen cloth and uh, the spices. But the women intend to come to, on the third day after the Sabbath. So Friday's the first day, Saturday's the second. So the third day they come. And they come very early while it's still dark. And there's several women who come. It seems like Mary Magdalene leads them. And there's two other women with him, with, with her. And they come and they find that the stone has been rolled away. And so they race back. And some angels tell them to go tell the disciples Jesus is going to see them again. So... Mary seems to run the fastest, and she runs and she tells Peter and John. And they race back, and Mary, I think, runs following them. But they get there first. And as you well know, John is the faster runner. So he goes in. They both arrive. So John is the faster runner, but it appears that Peter's bolder. Because Peter actually goes into the grave first. It makes that distinction in the word of God. John gets there first, but Peter goes in first. He's bolder to see if it's really empty. 
And John realizes he believes what the women were saying was true. He, his body is gone. Where has it gone? And in that sense, he believes. He believes the women's report. And my guess is he starts recollecting what Jesus had taught. But it's not till later in the day that Jesus appears to them and tells them, look, I've told you this again and again. The Son of Man is going to suffer. He's going to die. And he's going to rise again on the third day. Jesus tells them that face to face. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the point is, they ponder all this. But I'd like to read this morning talk about, first of all, Mary Magdalene. Her reaction to all this. And then we'll talk about the two on the road to Emmaus. Because they appear, we don't hear the discussion between Jesus and Peter, yet we know he appears to Peter. We might touch that also. But after these encounters of the Lord on Sunday, what would their testimony be? And, and, and for that, I, I, that's really what I'd like to talk about. You know, if, if we could talk to them today, what would they have said? What would they say today about how their experience with Jesus was on that day? Because they're filled with sorrow. I mean, they've seen a person they've been following for years, excuse me, and now he's dead. He's been murdered, executed by the authorities. And they had thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. They're going to get rid of the Roman rule, and he was going to be set up his kingdom. And they were going to have pretty high places in this new kingdom. This all been smashed to smithereens. Every dream they had has been smashed. They expected this, but the reality is this. And that happens to us, right? We have these great expectations for some things, the reality turns out to be something quite different. And so let's start with Mary Magdalene. It's John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And this is what I was just sharing with you. And the other disciple, that is John, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And there he saw the linen cloths lying there. So whatever they had, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away to their own homes. So that's pretty much the story I just, I just shared with you. They're pondering this. They do believe that the, it's true. I mean, what the women had said. But they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. We'll talk about that probably two or three times this morning. They did not know the scripture. But the person we want to focus in on is Mary. 
They, they hadn't seen Jesus. The tomb is empty. Uh, so something phenomenal has taken place, something astounding. This tomb is empty. So let's look at verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. No doubt she also saw the cloth wrapping. It's almost like the body has evaporated. It's disappeared. And everything it was, it was wrapped in these clothes, round and round and round. They're just laying there. So obviously, it, it wasn't torn open. It just, just disappeared. Jesus was gone. The tomb was empty. There were two angels there in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet. One commentator pictures this as almost like the, the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubims. They're both sitting at one end and they're, 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 looking at, uh, they're looking at Mary and they said to her in verse 13, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. In this case, so I just point this out to you because we're going to find out when we read about the two on the road to Emmaus, he comes alongside of them, walking with them, and they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And what... There's so many things that happen spiritually that we don't recognize because our eyes aren't opened. But in fact, his face was marred, disfigured, where his appearance was so disfigured because of the sufferings that took place before Calvary that whether you'd recognize his face or not is, a, is an important question. Uh, who would know? The way we'll know him, and we will know him, those of us who have trusted him as our personal savior, the nail prints in his hand. Nail prints in his side, the, nail, the, the, the cut in his side, the nail prints in his feet. We'll recognize him that way. But his face, I believe, has been changed because of all this, this disfigurement. And he's a person. She did not know that it was Jesus. Here's a woman. We'll talk about her in a second, what her testimony would be. And that's what we want to get to. What's her testimony of this, this, the experience that follows here? Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Maybe it was his voice, but he knew her name. And as soon as she heard him say her name, she knew who she was talking to. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. She was, she's weeping. Why? Because she's lost someone that she loved. And, you know, those of us who are saved know this sometimes, that we're, we're so wrapped up in the loss of somebody who's been dear to us that we don't recognize that Jesus is with us. 
that he's alongside. And he might touch us by simply uh, the assurance of a friend or another loved one, a confidence that he's, he's in heaven, that, or she's in heaven, the person that we loved so much. And, and that, that's very reassuring. In a way, that's Jesus talking to us. You see, he's using other believers to speak to our hearts. Or it might be a verse of reassurance that we'll see him again or her again. And that's Mary's experience. She's so swallowed up by this sorrow, so sad that she doesn't recognize Jesus. She just thinks he's a gardener standing there. Like I say, it would be hard to recognize him unless he showed her his hands and his feet. He does that later with some people. And simply calls her Mary. There's a verse in John chapter 10 and verse 4 that says, The sheep follow him. And Jesus is talking about the good shepherd. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. And so it is Mary knows his voice. Mary, just one word. He knows her name. And believe it or not, he knows each of our names. And he's called us each by name. And that's going to be an interesting thing when we get to heaven. He'll know us by name. We'll recognize him. We don't need introductions. We don't need an angel standing there. Rick, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is Rick. We don't need that. We'll know him. We'll see him as he is. And he'll know us. And that was Mary's experience here. She knew him. Even though his face had been disfigured. And all the sufferings of the cross. Though they're past, he still has the marks, you see. And yet, she hears his voice, Mary. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. And no doubt she was clinging to him. Here was a, Mary had been healed of seven demons. You have no idea the torment that her life had been in before she met Jesus. And he took out the demons and gave her a tremendous, profound peace as a result of her trusting him and putting her faith in him. He was able to heal her, and she loved him for it. We sang a hymn this morning, uh, number 87. It kind of went, one part of it, I guess I've I've hidden the words here. Uh, Verse 80, uh, Psalm 87, I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. But she loved him, why? Because he loved her first. And that's how we know, that's why we respond the way we do when we want to make it clear that we love him. Well, we do that in response to the fact that he loved us first. He went all the way to the cross to die for our sins. And he did that in love and in willingness and obedience to his father. But he did it because he has this expectation of us being with him, redeemed. He's purchased us with his own blood. But the initiation of all that was his love toward us. It's going to be interesting that when we get to really know the Lord Jesus Christ better in heaven. Right now we have you know, all these clouds, it seems, yet, and, and sometimes it's overcast in the morning here, yet the sun is there. And sometimes that's the way our life is. But when we get to heaven, there's no more clouds. We'll see him as he is. We'll really know him in, in every detail, why he did this why he did that in our lives, this weaving of all these events in our lives. We won't understand it fully, nor understand him fully until we get to heaven. But God, thank God for the word. We can get a taste of it, okay? That's the important thing. So he says, don't cling to me. I'll see you again. Don't cling to me. And she leaves. 
He says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Here's an interesting point. Why didn't he say, I'm ascending to our God, and I'm ascending to our Father? Well, in one sense, well, it, it is true, but it's, he's ascending to his Father, and he's the one who's been with the Father from eternity past. I mean, he was God, okay? They had this relationship. We're there by adoption. Yeah, so we can still go, call God our Father, but it's in a different sense. And same as our God, my God, and your God. That's where I'm going. He's going home. So don't cling to me. You'll see me again. And so verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he had spoken these things to her. Now the big question is, if Mary Magdalene should appear here, what would her testimony be? What would she say? Well, I think I was just pondering this, you know, uh, maybe a little sanctified imagination. But I think she would say this. He healed me. I had seven demons, and she healed, he healed me, and I'm at peace. When I, was, when I am with him, I'm at peace. No more torment within my soul. I know who my God is. I know him, and I'm at peace. That's probably the first thing she would say. I'm healed. I'm at peace. And the second thing she would say is, he loved me, and so I love him. That's the second thing she would say. And the last thing is, he called me by my name. Mary. Just one word. Mary. So that was, there's probably more, and you could ponder this you know, as you go home and think about what else might she say. My dad, one of my dad's favorite hymns was, I, uh, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. That's Mary Magdalene's hymn, okay, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't know if the person who wrote it was thinking that. I think they were. Uh, and he walked with me and he talked with me and he told me I am his all. Okay, and that, that, that's her experience. And that's the experience we want as believers, isn't it? We want that experience of having this tremendous peace with him and loving him because he first loved us. And she wanted to be with him. And uh, she missed his love. That's why she's weeping. So in a sense, the, the, her experience is that of a weeping heart, yet it turns to joy. And turn with me over to Luke chapter 24. We'll talk about two other folks. She had the weeping heart. In Luke 24, we'll read about two who had a burning heart. So, so far, the Sunday morning, this, uh, the Sunday morning, Easter morning, uh, we've had the women go, led by Mary Magdalene, to find out that the tomb is empty. We see Mary Magdalene running back, telling Peter and John, the tomb is empty. They run. They confirm that. Yes, the tomb is empty. And Mary follows them. But also, Jesus had met the, the other women as well. And that's in another, so John can put all these things together. What's happening here? But at some point here, there's a couple things that happen that aren't really described too much. One is 
Jesus appears to Peter. And if we have time this morning, we'll talk about that. Because there's a repentant heart. We're not told what the conversation is. You can kind of suspect it. And we might talk about that a little bit later. But another, so there's a group of 11 apostles now. Judas has gone. So it seems like the, Luke, the writer of this, keeps emphasizing there's 11. The 11. Okay, quote, the 11. Not the 12. It's the 11. Uh, recognizing that Jesus had, or Judas had betrayed the Lord and he was gone out of the picture. And there were some other disciples there and uh, two of them leave on Sunday morning after they have heard the report from the women, after they have heard the report from uh, uh, John and Peter, they leave. They're going to go, why they go to Emmaus, it's about seven miles away, the scripture tells us, about a two hour walk. But they're going to Emmaus, maybe they're going to go home. Maybe they're disappointed. They're definitely unhappy. And that's what we'll find out about this morning. So in verse 13, Luke 24 and verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. There's two that really had faith. My guess is that if they were with the 11, after all that had happened at, uh, at Calvary and uh, the, the, how the soldiers had taken Jesus and how they had executed him, and yet they had probably been followers, you see, and now everything is turned upside down. All their dreams are exploded. What are they going to do now? And they're unhappy. And uh, so they're, they're depressed. And again, this is a lesson for each of us, too, because what happens now is that Jesus himself draws near. And I keep saying that. It's Jesus himself. Look, it's me, myself. You know, later when he appears to the disciples, it's me, myself. Now we read it, Jesus himself appears to them. It was he himself who appeared to Mary Magdalene. Now he himself is going to talk to these two on the road to Emmaus. They did not know him. And when we go through our trials, there are events that take place that, that get us depressed. Sometimes our dreams get shattered, right? Uh, if you're going through that now, don't think you're the only person who's ever had that happen to you. It happens. It, uh, Almost everybody, right? Unless you live such a, a, a script-written written life that, you know, there's no, it's no surprises. You know, everything happens just it clicks along just as it was supposed to. Well, I don't know too many people like that. But if that's happened to you, great for you. Maybe you won't relate to this. But the, the, the point is, if your life turns upside down all of a sudden for one reason or another, and you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he could be alongside of you and you won't recognize him. That's terrible, but it's true. You get so wrapped up in the, the, the you know, whatever the struggle is, where, where your world's turned upside down, and there he is. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. In verse 17, he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Here, Jesus is with them, and their faces are sad. They don't recognize him. 
And we have reasons for discouragement too. But so they go on to explain their reasons for discouragement. They might have left their jobs to follow Jesus. And uh, let's see what they say. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So here's a lesson for us. If we're sad and downcast, what God wants to know, wants us to express is to him, what are the reasons that we're sad? He wants us to express it. And this is, this is what leads to real peace with God is when you can take your, your concerns and you can express it and present it to him. Okay? All those the challenges that we're having, to articulate that is one step in the way to peace. If you can articulate that and hand it over to God, say, this is what's troubling me. I lay it before you. Uh, Peter says later in 1 Peter 5 and 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's his invitation. But to, but to get there, you have to be able to articulate what the issue is, you see. And then you might make your request, once you've articulated the issue, then you can make your request to God and, and, and turn it over to him. And then that, that, that's what leads to real peace in a at a very trying situation. So anyway, so Jesus is drawing this out of them. Why are you sad? Why are you sad? What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. Let's, let's, let's finish this. They're, they're telling Jesus what the issue was. First, they start off by telling him, telling the stranger the life and character of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, he was prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. There's his life and his, his character. Then he talks about his suffering and his death. He was a prophet. You know what a prophet is a person who can do miracles on their own, their own power, do miracles. And what they do is harmonious with God's will. And there's Jesus, a great prophet. He was a, we know the, the scripture is clear. He was a prophet. He was a priest. And he was a, he'll be a, he's a coming king, okay? But prophet, priest, and king. But here they're, they're concerned about the fact that he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests delivered him to be condemned to death and to crucify him. Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they lay it all out before the Lord. We was hoping he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. In other words, he's going to Get rid of the Romans. We all hate the Romans. Okay? It's going to be a big political change. And that's what they were expecting. 
And they thought that each of them would have a prominent place in this new kingdom. But what Jesus was, was preaching was a spiritual kingdom, uh, not of this world. But so they had these expectations, but the reality was something totally different that they didn't understand. Yet we will find out in a minute when Jesus meets and starts talking to them, he starts explaining things that he had been explaining all along. This is what the Messiah was to do. He was to suffer first. So let's what Jesus, see what Jesus says to them. They have laid it all out before him, and so we have to do sometimes in our own lives. Lord, this is why I'm so, you know, this is why I'm so depressed, and this, this is what my request is, and making that request in an articulate way is important too. Can you really make your request? Just not, Lord, make me feel good. That, that's, not, that's not articulating your request. You'd like this to happen and this to happen if it's in God's will. That's making your request carefully. Anyway, he starts talking to them in verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to, to enter into his glory? And here's the key verse. If you have a pen and you want to highlight a verse, it's verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay. There, they, uh, once in a while, I tutor uh, students, particularly in math. Uh, and my first tutoring job was in, 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 when I was a graduate, no, I was, when was it? I was a student. I was tutoring a freshman student. And... Uh, you know, I didn't know that much, and I helped the girl as much as I could. But here, you have the best of tutors, right? You have the best of tutors, and you have the best of books, and uh, uh, you have the best of subjects. He's going to start talking about himself, and he's going to start weaving through the whole Old Testament about himself. And he's going to start with Moses. He's going to start, well, what's, what is there about uh, Moses? Well, you have all the sacrifices, What's the, what's the real meaning of the sin offering? What's the real meaning of the burnt offering? What's the real meaning of the uh, meal offering? And so he's weaving all that together, and it's going to be about himself. This is what the sin offering is a type of something that's going to, where God's going to send his Messiah, and he's going to bear the sins of many. Okay, that's the picture. And, you know, we hear it sometimes uh, from the pulpit here. Sometimes we hear it on Sunday morning. Uh, but... So we're going back with the help of the Holy Spirit doing exactly what Jesus did with these men. He wove it all together. Then it goes next to the, whoa, the prophets. Well, what would they have to say? Uh, where do they talk about Jesus? Well, um, Zechariah chapter 9. He, Zechariah was a prophet. I don't know if any of us will uh, recognize him when we see him, but uh, he's a prophet. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. There's a time when Jesus will come and the Jews will welcome him because he's coming to save them. And they'll recognize him by what? The pierced hands. Okay, They're the ones. He's the one that they had pierced. So there's Zechariah. There's Isaiah. Fantastic. Isaiah 52, 53, talking about uh, how he, he, he bore the sins of many. Okay. Uh, Great. So Jesus is going through Isaiah. Uh, those things, they're talking about him. 
There's a lot in Isaiah where it's talking about, you know, where Isaiah is giving um, the condemnation to the different nations. But it's a beautiful section in the book of Isaiah where he talks about Jesus. Isaiah 52, and near the end, you know, his visage was so marred more than any man. I mean, that's a fantastic verse when you realize that long before the Messiah came, Isaiah is telling the Jews what's going to happen to the Messiah. And the same in Isaiah, 5, Isaiah 53. One person has called this the, the golden cord that goes through the Old Testament is about Christ. Another, I heard a preacher one time talk about uh, the scarlet thread of Rahab, uh, where she hung this, 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 this cord out uh, so the Jews would know when they attacked Jericho that she and her family were, were in there and that since she had helped them that they would let her get out. And they've called this the scarlet cord, the, the blood of Christ. You know, this is the scarlet cord to the Old Testament. But it's a gospel message to the Old Testament and Jesus is explaining it to them. What a privilege, privilege they had. All the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he had the Best of tutors, the best of books, and the best of subjects. So in verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him. They wanted him to stay with them. And I think once Jesus starts revealing himself in his word, he wants us to stay with him. And indeed, we do want to stay with him. We want him to stay with us. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. So it was evening, a two-hour walk, and they're out, uh, they've arrived at uh, Emmaus, and they want him to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And what can you say? A, a couple things here. One is that it was an ordinary meal. It was not communion. It was an ordinary meal. But Jesus became their host. They invite him in, and he becomes the host. He's the one who breaks the bread. He gives thanks for his food. Notice that every time you see Jesus with food, he's the one who gives thanks for it. And very interesting. And that's a, you know, we're never told explicitly to say explicitly to say grace, but we do it because of his example. At least that's what we do in our family. We do it because of his example, not because there's a rigid command, you know, give thanks for your food. It's just. He was thankful for his food, and he, you always see him doing it. So you, you try to imitate the Lord that way. At least we do in our family. We're thankful for what he's given us, and we want to express that at the very beginning of the meal. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then verse 32, did not our heart burn within us? And while he opened the scriptures to us. Um, there's two things, and I don't think we'll have time to get into them, but we'll get into the first thing right now. One is... He opened the scriptures to them. And in coming to salvation, it's great. We have these verses on the wall. 
We have it in our Bibles. You hear it preached from the pulpit here, the scripture, the scripture, the scripture. And hopefully that will always be the condition here at Claremont Bible, uh, Claremont Bible Chapel. Uh, there'll be the scripture. But he opened the scriptures to them, so he explained to their minds, there might have been a veil over the scriptures. Now, uh, it could be they didn't understand Isaiah 53. Who knows what their issues were? They didn't understand certain uh, feasts. But sometimes an unbeliever has this problem. And I had problems with this book before I was saved. And it's one revelation of the Holy Spirit today who is working. Uh, Jesus is using the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. But he opens the scripture to us. And that's important that he opens, because there are many complicated verses in the scripture, and we have to pray over them and seek uh, help from more mature Christians to understand the scripture. But it's the Holy Spirit who eventually makes it clear. Jesus makes it clear, but he opens the scripture. Later, and we won't have time for this this morning, but he meets with the disciples that night, and he opens their understanding. Now, there's a distinction there. One thing to open the scriptures, okay, oh, now I know what that verse means. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what it means. It's another thing to apply it. Anybody can tell you what the verse is, and a lot of people can explain what the verse means, what you should believe. It's another thing for that to reach your heart, and that's opening the understanding, you see. And that's a work of God also. And that's really the work of God. I mean, somebody can up here and thump the, the pulpit all they want, but they can't get you to believe it. God has to reach down into your heart. He has to open your understanding. Oh, the issue is I'm the sinner. I need a Savior. That's the issue. And that's why I have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, to take that personally. That was a two-step process for me. That's why I can relate to... to uh, these verses. It was two step. One is to say, okay, whatever this book says, I believe it. And that happened to me in the spring of, uh, when I was in school. Another thing to say, I'm the sinner for who Christ died. I need to trust him as my savior. And that's a step of faith. But that, that, that was the understanding part of it. Now it's been presented to me. Are you going to do it? I couldn't do it. I, was, I used to stutter when I was a kid. It was just like that. You want to say something and you can't say it. The, word, the words are in here, but the words can't get out. Well, I know what the issue is. I want to trust him. Can't do it. I've never seen him. I'm almost like doubting Thomas, okay? Uh, I, I got to see him, but then it's the, it, it's the faith that you take. Lord, I can't see you, but I trust you as my Savior. I'm the sinner for you died. And I didn't, you know, we talk a lot about repentance in our uh, chapel here. And to tell you the truth, I repented more after I got saved than before. I realized what a dope I had been. You know, there, there was the issue, and I couldn't do I mean, I should say I was a dope, but um, I was blind. The veil was over the eyes. I didn't see what the issue was. And then to actually trust that Jesus did something for me, something that I could never do myself, he paid the price for my sins. I couldn't do it myself. There was that issue, you see, and that was opening my understanding. And you see that later. He does that with the disciples that night. So they rose up at verse 33. So it's nighttime now, okay? 
So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's what they're telling them. So sometime between the morning when he raced and looked walking into the tomb and sometime now at night when it's dark, Jesus had appeared to him. And so they, uh, verse 35, they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. We don't have time to go into this. Maybe on Easter, uh, Lord willing, we can cover this on Easter day. But we can cover Peter for a few moments. We've had Mary Magdalene with a weeping heart. We've had the two on the road to Emmaus with a burning heart. And now we have Peter. And we don't have any record of what Jesus said to him that first day. The last thing we hear from, the, the last thing we heard from Peter was that he wept bitterly. He had boasted that he would follow the Lord to death. He had boasted, he had confessed at one point in his life that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, he had walked on water. Uh, been in, uh, the focal point in a miracle. And in the end, he weeps bitterly. So that was the past. And I don't know what he's thinking he did race to the tomb. Judas could never come back to repent. It sounds like Peter wanted to. Peter, was, Peter wanted to be with the Lord. Yeah, will, the Lord uh, will the Lord appear to him? Big question after he had betrayed him. I don't, I don't know this man. Uh, I'm not from Galilee. Uh, I never knew these people. You know, that's, that's basically what, what his excuse was. And then he betrays him and he says, and Peter weeps bitterly when the cock crew and Jesus could see him. We don't know what he said to Peter. But I believe Peter had a repentant heart. And he wanted to be right with Jesus. And no doubt, I don't know exactly, we have no idea what this transaction was. If some of you do know, I'd, I'd, be like, I'd like to know myself. But the point was, Peter no doubt confessed that he was sorry for what he had done. And he, really, he admitted that he loved the Lord, and his trust was that the Lord would still love him. And I, my guess is that Jesus assured him, I still love you. Later on, uh, 40 days take place uh, before Jesus departs. But during those 40 days, he appears to a number of people, and to the disciples again and again, reassuring them, I've risen from the dead. Uh, you know, and, and his body is not yet as glorious as it was when Paul meets him on the road to Damascus. But he's alive. I mean, that's, that's the miracle of it all. He's alive. And... Um, he meets with the disciples, so they've all decided to go fishing for some reason. I guess they were fishermen. Maybe this is some joy to them to go fishing again. I don't know. Or they don't know exactly when all this is going to end, you know. Uh, in any case, he gives Peter, he talks to Peter, you know, and he says, do you love me? Do you, have some of, do you really love me with all your heart? All your heart, Peter. Do you love me that way? And Peter says, uh, yes. kind of. I'm not so sure, because he knows he's already failed once here. Let's turn to it. It's in John. 
it only take two or three minutes. John chapter 20. I'm sorry, John chapter 21. John chapter 21 and verse 15. This is after, the, after he had repented, you see, and there's peace now. He's assured that Jesus still loves him. And this is what they all missed during that period at, when, at Calvary. They, they thought, you know, all our dreams, the, the one who loved us is gone, and now he's, he's appeared again. So it's all like a restoration, so to speak. But he says in verse 15, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And that's where, you know, if you really trust somebody and love them, you'll have confidence they'll do what you tell you. You'll, they'll do what you tell them to do, okay? And this is the confidence Jesus has in Peter. A restored fellowship, you see. And he's given, giving him a mission. And that's a blessing to Peter. Now, Peter's a man of action, a real man of action. And if the Lord would trust him after he betrayed him, means that God still loves him. And that is so reassuring. And then he says um, again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you, have, do you have affection for me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. First it's feed my lambs, then it's tend my sheep. Be a shepherd to God's people. That's the charge I'm giving you. In verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you have affection for me? I mean, he's going from, you love me with all your heart, to do you have affection for me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. But all you have to do is read First and Second Peter to see that he does that. His concern is for the believers. He's taken... Because he's been forgiven, you see, of his great sin, he now can follow Jesus' commands with a whole heart and know that God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to strengthen him to do God's will. And so it is with us. Those of, if you're not saved, you're just going along on your own steam, you know, and it'll come to an end, and you'll be in a lost eternity. But if we are saved, it's, it's so wonderful to keep the... short accounts with the Lord, then he can use us, okay? And we have confidence that he's using us. It comes by having a clear conscience before the Lord and being willing to serve him. And that was Peter's. He had a repentant heart. So he had Mary Magdalene, a weeping heart. She missed the one she loved. You had the two on the road to the disciples. They had a burning, burning hearts as he opened the scriptures to them. And lastly, we have Peter, the repentant heart, who goes on to really serve the Lord after his recovery. Fantastic. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time this morning to open your word. And we thank you, Father, that Jesus rose from the dead. We serve our risen Savior. Pray, Lord, that we might know him better as we open, open your word. Open the scriptures to us. Lord, especially open our understanding. Uh, may it just not be head knowledge, but Lord, reach down to our hearts. And uh, any here this morning who are lost and uh, 
uh, we just pray that they would see their need for a Savior and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.